listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You may be seated. Well, I've got great news for you. It was exciting last week to be able to present to you some students in Sierra Leone, Africa, who are beginning their first school year, their first full year after the Ebola virus swept through that country. And all the students that we had last week from each campus were all sponsored. And so we give God all the praise and all the honor uh, for that. But this morning, I want to close out our series on living generously. And I, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we've been walking uh, through Paul's kind of raising funds letter in chapters 8 and 9. We're going to finish that, but also mark this morning Psalm 112. 2 Corinthians 9 and Psalm 112. And today we're going to wrap up that series on living generously. And if you've been around here long enough, you've started to hear the phrase that Bethel Bible Church is here to grow communities... We do that through life groups, tailgating, serving together, women's men's Bible studies, children being together in Bible studies at 9.30, Connections class. We grow communities, and then we build leaders. We raise up men to be deacons and elders, encouraging parents as we will in baby dedication to be the spiritual leaders of their children and living generously for the glory of God. So over the last three weeks, many things have been said about living generously. But the thing that I keep going back to, that I keep thinking about, is that God has given me and He has given you everything we need to live generous lives. In fact, that our lack of generosity, that is actually on us. We have everything that we need. We have time, we have talents, we have wealth. Homes, cars, voices to speak encouragement, and all kinds of people around us. So let me ask you, thinking back maybe over the next last, I don't know, seven to ten days, what was the, the greatest or the biggest act of generosity maybe you heard of or maybe that you witnessed? Maybe you saw on the news people giving of their time and supplies to go to South Louisiana, or maybe a, a benefit uh, for someone that is, you know, struggling through cancer. Maybe it was watching a family walk through an organ donation. The good news is we can still find glimpses, even among all the bad news, there are still people living generously. But let's make it personal. What was your greatest act of generosity this past week? As you're thinking about that, I want to share with you that several months ago, we sent out a survey, and it was with a group we've been partnering with called Generous Church. And this survey, we we were trying to get a snapshot, and I filled it out, many of you did, about where are we as a church? What is our culture of living generously? And two things that rose to the top, and the good news is this, that it showed us that we know what we should know. We know 
We know what we need to believe about living generously. So that's great news. We know that. We have the right perspective. But we tend to overall lack in an area. It showed us that our attentions are good. We know what we should know. But when it comes to taking that personal initiative to live generously, that's one of our growth areas. And reading through this, that we have good intentions. But I think for me, I know what my biggest problem is. And I don't know, and I generalize this to all of us, but my lack of generosity is that I often talk myself out of it. At least that's my biggest problem. I talk myself out of, I have good intentions. I I believe I know what I need to know, but I talk myself out of it. If it might be to invite someone over. Marla had been talking about this one family for several weeks now, but I tell myself, oh, they're probably just too busy anyway. And man, we go through two or three more weeks and we still haven't done that. Or it might be, you know, I, I want to give to this or I want to help this. But when I'm in a, a better place financially, then I'll really do that. And I talk myself out of it. Or I might even say, you know what, man, I just, right now I just don't have time for that. And I talk myself out of living generously. And I think for me that is my biggest problem. So as you're thinking about your greatest act, your biggest act of generosity last week, this week we're going to look at three major things in this letter. What Paul is going to do, he's going to show us the types of giver we should be and also types of givers we shouldn't be. And you're going to read these verses and you're easily going to pick them out. Then he's going to move into where does this Christian generosity, where does it really come from, where does it spring from? And then he's going to close today with the benefits, the effects of us living generously. But today, here's our bottom line. Here's what we're going to focus in on. That our generosity, it really reflects how we see God. Our biggest thing about generosity is how we view Him. That our generosity, it reflects how we see God. So let's, first of all, let's back up. Let's begin at verse 5. We're going to go to verse 7. Let's look at four ways to give and four ways not to give. You're all smart. You're going to get this. You're going to see them. Starting at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. The point is this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whosoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, so let's let's pull out... The four ways we're not to be able, or we should not give. And so look at verse 5. The first one, and if you like to underline, this is going to be a good day to do that or take some notes, that the first way is not as an exaction. I don't know if I've ever used that word in my life other than this sermon. So what is it? It means not, don't give with the mindset or the heart of covetousness. And it means don't give, you should not give, then expecting something as a reward or in return for your generosity. 
Listen, we have all been guilty of this. See, I'm projecting my sins upon you again. You just have to endure that. That we've all given money. I assume that about you if you're like me. We've all done something for someone. We've invited someone over for dinner in hopes that someday it's going to pay it backwards to me. And Paul says, don't give this way. Do not give expecting that it's then going to benefit you later. The first one. Then the second way not to give in verse 6, he says, sparingly. You've probably heard the terms to spare no expense or spare no effort. And it means to go all out and to hold nothing back. So Paul is going to use this illustration here of the illustration of a farmer. And the point jumps right off the page to us. It's easy to see that if you go out and you sow, I don't know, a fourth of your bag of seed, you can only expect to get a return of a fourth of that bag. But if you sow it all, then you can expect a bountiful return. So he says, do not reap sparingly. Meaning, do not give. So first of all, don't give expecting in return just to benefit you. But don't sow, don't give with a heart that really wants to hold back. Let's be honest again, my sins are your sins, that we've all given money, we've all given time, we've all volunteered, and it's been like one of our books that we often read called Halfway Herbert, that he does these things, but it's only halfway. He only brushes half of his teeth, he only combs half of his hair, he only washes half of his body, but he, Paul says don't give that way, don't give, and then holding things back. Don't give knowing that you just, I have to, I have to keep some of it. I've got, to, I've got to keep some, I've got to reserve some of this. Paul says don't give with a heart that wants to hold back. Then a third way he says don't give, verse 7, he says don't give reluctantly. This is giving sorrowfully or giving maybe out of grief. Or even giving out of sadness. This is giving, but you know what? You really don't want to. It is giving, we might say begrudgingly. And it's the one where you might give, but there's an eye roll in there somewhere. I mean, aren't we all guilty of doing that at some form or another? We've given money and, okay, here I go. Or, man, I don't want to look bad in front of everybody else. Or we've given, done an act of kindness, but deep down, I mean, we knew that is not what we wanted to do. Paul's not done a fourth way. In verse 7, don't give under exaction or, or covetousness, expecting in return. Don't give sparingly, holding reserve. Don't give reluctantly, out of, out of just begrudgingly. But he says, also not under compulsion. And this is, this is giving under pressure or under distress. And man, we work really hard and we probably fail at times, but we don't want to be a church that causes people to give out of guilt or pressure. We, we don't pass a plate and we don't want there to be a lot of external pressure. You give in a box or you give online. We want that to be between you and the Lord. But we've said almost from week one that true generosity can never be commanded. Man, Paul could have commanded these people to do all kinds of things. And someone that has influence over you could command you to do something. But it will never be true generosity because you're only following their command. 
And you cannot command true generosity. But once again, aren't we all guilty of that at some form that we've given because we just don't want to look bad? That we did something because we didn't want to be the only one not participating? But remember that true generosity can never be created out of commands. All right, now that we all feel pretty terrible about ourselves, and you can relate to my failures, all right, let's walk back and let's say, okay, if that's what we should not do, and Paul's going to say, but here's the positive side of things. So once again, let me read those four verses. So I thought it was necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead of you and to arrange in advance a gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. To the point is this, whoever sows sparingly is also going to reap sparingly, but whosoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the first one, in fact, the first two, they really, you, you can't separate them. But in verse 5, it's a willing gift. And willing means this. Willing means blessing. But it's a little strange to think willing. I, I can wrap my mind around that. It's one that's not coerced. It's one that I want to do. But what does that, how does that relate to blessing? He said you could write out beside this, if you like to do that, write out the word blessing next to the word willing. This is what Paul is saying. Don't give expecting in return. That's the opposite. Instead, you should give simply for the sake of being a blessing. And that's what that next word in verse 6, the next way, bountifully. Uh, this word, in fact, willingly and bountifully in the Greek, they're the exact same word. And it means be a blessing. You should give for the purpose of, not so I get something in return, but I give my time, my talents, I open up my home, whatever it might be, my words, simply because I want to be a blessing. But in the midst of this, that you so sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly, you so bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully, this verse has been misused by so many people, especially preachers. If you remember back to the television evangelists of the 70s, 80s, and even 90s, I was introducing Marcus the other day to a classic Jimmy Swaggart. He's on TV, and Marcus looked at him and said, Look, Dad, Donald Trump. And uh, so maybe they had some similarities. But there were guys that were notorious for using verses like this, trying to get people to give. And they would use verses to say, You know what? You cannot outgive God. And on the surface, yes, that is true. But then they would go on to say some things like this. So you can't outgive God. So if you give to us, I even heard a guy say one time, you giving is entitling God to act back on your behalf. And I thought, no way that is what Scripture is saying. And so we see this often in modern day with the prosperity gospel. Oh, if you'll just sow this seed... Man, God, he, He's going to come back and He is going to bless your pocketbooks bigger than ever. And I was reading a story. Love this woman. She got a letter and a mail from a, an evangelist that said, You know what? If you would give God right now $67, 
You can call this number. You send in a check. If you give $67 in the next 60 to 90 days, God will give you back $1,000. I've heard that. I've seen it. I love this lady. She took out her pen and paper. She began writing. She said, I appreciate your letter. And she said, but I have a deal for you. She says, you know what? Why don't you send me $67? And then I have faith in 60 to 90 days. God will give you $1,000. So what does he mean when he says, whosoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully? Because on the surface, that seems to be what he is saying. If you just give everything away, God is then, you'll get more than you ever had before. It means that if you do give with the right heart and the right attitude of simply being a blessing, God will bless you. It says it right there. But it does not mean that if you give $67, God will then give you $1,000 back. We've already been told don't give expecting in return. So what does it mean to sow bountifully and to reap bountifully? Well, you're going to have to hold on till verse 11, but I'll make sure you, you, we see that. So, give willingly, give bountifully. And then in verse 7, it says, what you have decided in your heart. Paul says, the next way to give is that your decision to be generous, it is between you and the Lord. That you are to decide. You are not to live generously just because someone told you to. You decide... You and him, you and your wife, or you and your family, you decide how you're going to live generously. But beware. If you have that conversation with God, as, as uh, Drew said, you come to that vulnerable place and you say, okay, God, show me an area that, that I need to be more generous. What will happen? you will slowly begin to see what really controls the affections of your heart. It's a great conversation to have, but just know it can be a painful one. But he says, decide. Decide in your heart. And then the fourth way to give is in verse 7. It's a verse we've often read. It says that we are to be a cheerful giver. I love this word. It comes from our English word, or we get our English word from cheerful. That our English translation of that is hilarious. Paul is saying, you need to be a hilarious giver, meaning be happy about it, be glad. You are to enjoy giving. But we need to ask then. Then we've seen four ways of not to give and four ways that we should give. Then what's the difference? What, what is you know, kind of the deciding factor between what kind of giver that we are going to be. How, if we're going to live generously, and there's two different ways, what is it that makes one good and one bad? What is the deciding factor? Because one person gives expecting to be blessed, sparingly holding back, reluctantly or only under commands, but one gives willingly, bountifully to be a blessing. They decide between them and God, and then they're cheerful in it. Well, here's what it boils down to. The deciding thing is our generosity is directly tied to how we view God. Our generosity reflects how we see God. The first heart views God as a taker. 
if you give expecting and sparingly and reluctantly, you're really viewing God as someone that is always taking from you. But if you give willingly and you sacrifice bountifully and cheerfully, it's tied to that you actually see God as a giver. So a person that gives, let me give us some, maybe some word pictures of this, that a person that gives sparingly, meaning always holding back, has a view of God that is always taking from them, so then they have to then be prepared for every moment. If my life is being drained away by God, because He's always interrupting and demanding, then I feel like, you know what, I have to grasp after the things of this world to meet my needs. This person says, you know what, God can't be trusted. He can't be trusted to meet my needs. And if I give this, then I'm going to have to be dependent upon Him. And He can't be trusted. This person doesn't really believe that God is really for them all of the time. A person that might give reluctantly. You know what, it has a view of God that says, He's really not that important. A person that gives reluctantly has a far greater love for the things of this world than for God. Because they might give, but it's with sadness and grief over what they feel like they're giving up and they're losing. And they've attached too much worth and value to it. But hey, I'll be honest, I've given that way. I've sacrificed with that attitude. But beneath that willing, bountiful, cheerful giver, is a person that looks up to God and sees God as the giver of all givers, a supplier and a helper. And when this person looks to God, they are replenished and not drained. They see God as beautiful. They're everything. That He can be trusted. And that no matter what I do, if I give this time or I give this money, God has got my back. He is for me. So the good news is that Paul understands That our generosity reflects how we see God. And he knows that we have been in both camps. He knows that our generosity reflects how we see God. So really to change our generosity. To change our perspective. About giving and and giving our time and our resources. And opening up our home with our words. It's our view of God that needs to change. And over the next four verses, and this is what he does, Paul understands that it's tied directly to how we see God, so he says, let me help you with that. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, how many times, did you notice there how many times he puts the declarative all? Paul says, this is the clear, this is the correct picture. First of all, we have to believe that God is able, that we would never question his ability to make all grace abound to you. So listen to what I wrote about this, because so often... We can forget this. And this is something that we need to preach to ourselves all the time. God cares deeply for you and about you. The one who created you cares intimately about you. And his desire is not your misery. 
But all grace comes your way. So that not only can he be trusted, he has all sufficiency in all things at all times. Meaning God has all that you need exactly when you need it, no matter where you are. Listen to that again. God has all that you need exactly when you need it, no matter where you are. So our generosity is really a test of how much we believe that. The key to living generously, to living generous lives, is contentment that God is actually generous to us. That our generosity reflects how we see God. Our generosity, it reflects how much we truly trust that God is for us. And Paul knows that we need a clearer picture of who he is. So what does he do? Paul goes back to a person who truly knows what it's like to live that way and to trust God. Look at verse 9. He says, now it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And what he's doing, he's going back to Psalm 112. So quickly turn there and let me show you in a little bit broader picture why this is so important. He's actually quoting a section of Psalm 112. But I want to back up because really to understand this, we have to go to verse 4. This is what it says. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals graciously and generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteousness, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his uh, adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures. His horn is exalted in honor. And what Paul is doing is showing us a person that sees God rightly. The one who truly trusts and believes God, even, it says, in the pitch darkness when the world should be falling down around them, they believe that God is there. So when everyone else, it says, is shaking in fear because of the bad news around them, and let's be honest, some of us need to turn Fox News off every once in a while. But when the bad news is all around us, this person, they continue to trust God and their heart is steady. When everyone else is paralyzed by fear, in looking out for number one, this person in the midst of all of that sees God correctly and it trusts Him to live generously. Even when the world is falling down around them and it's dark and he, many people have no hope, this person is continuing to care for the poor. He is helping the person in need and he is finding ways to encourage others. And he is inviting people who are totally different into his life. He, that, is the cheerful giver. And the reason he can do this is in verse 10. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul says God is in absolute control. First of all, he gives you the grain. You cannot make that for yourself. You do not have the capacity to make grain, and God's going to give it to you. But he also, he gives you the means and the ability to sow it. We couldn't even do that without him. And he also causes the harvest from the grain, which we could never do on our own. So God gives you the grain. He gives you the ability to sow it. And then he's the one that makes it grow. He makes the seed, the soil, the sunshine, the growth, the ripening, and even the brain and the hands to place that seed into the soil. Paul says he can be trusted. So our generosity is really a test of how much we believe this. The key to living generously, to living generous lives, is commitment and God's generosity toward us. Our generosity reflects how we see God. Our generosity reflects how much we truly trust that God is for us. So let me clear up what does he mean by if you sow bountifully, you're going to get bountifully back. What does he mean by that? Well, the key And so often the guys stop and they never got to verse 11. Here's the key. Here's the promise. If you sow bountifully, if you give your life away, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving for God. Meaning if you live generously to be a blessing, You know what the truth is? You will be given more. God might multiply your time. He might make you more efficient. He might bless you financially. He may give you gifts that you never realized you had when you start using them. But you know what it's for? It's so that you can turn around and be generous even greater. It isn't to hoard it. When you have the correct view of God, when He is in total control of your heart, and your affections, Paul says you can't help but be generous. And the more you are generous, the more you will love it, and the more opportunities you will have to live generously. That's what it means so bountifully. He says, give your lives away. And just know you will reap bountifully, meaning God will give you more and more opportunities to live generously. That's how God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to have to do this last part really quick. Look at verse 12 through 14. We've seen how to give and how not to give, and we've seen that it really boils down to how we view God. And he says, if you live generous lives, there's three things you can look forward to. Here's what happens. Here's the benefits. In verse 12, he repeats again, you know what, if you live generous lives, it is going to produce a thanksgiving to God, not you. You don't give so that you get the praise of other people. You give your lives away so that it becomes thanksgiving and more thanksgiving for him. And then in verse 13, 
by their approval of this service when you do these things, you know what? They will turn around and they will glorify God because of your submission to Him. That people are going to turn around and they're going to begin seeing God in a completely different life. This means that not only will our generous acts cause thanksgiving to God, they will cause people to look past us to the one that actually supplies what we need to be generous. Man, the greatest of all rewards of being generous is that those that have no reason to look to God, much less glorify Him, will be moved to do so when they see your generous acts. And then he says in verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you. Meaning when we begin to live generous lives, it creates a bond between people. There's something that happens that, you know what, everyone wants to be loved by other people. Everyone wants to be needed by other people. And living generous lives allows that connection to happen. So I want you to look at verse 15. It's the last verse in this section because he wraps it up with something beautiful. In verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Nowhere before has that word inexpressible ever been used. In fact, some people say Paul made it up. But he's trying to put the picture to us that really our generosity flows from a gift that you could never explain with words. It's inexpressible. And the only way we can ever be generous people is because God was first generous to us. How do we love? It's because we've first been loved. And Paul began back in chapter 8 reminding us of the most generous act the world has ever seen was Jesus becoming poor so you could become rich. So we must understand from this is that Paul's call to living a generous life, of living generously, is not a call to just reach down within our beings and to rise up to the best that's in within us. Because our best will never be good enough. Because you're like me and we will often talk ourselves out of it. But rather, Paul says, it's a call to, to be authentic, to come to Christ in true belief and repentance. It's a call to contemplate Christ's giving as an example of our giving. He embraced poverty so that we might become rich. Because giving is not just something we're to do, but something we are. Giving is supposed to be a way of life for the Christian who understands God's grace. In fact, one guy said reading last week, there, you cannot be a Christian in a Scrooge. That if we do not rightly see him, that affects our ability to live generous lives. So here's what we to do. If we cannot give joyfully, because you may find yourself in that spot and you say, you know, I just can't do it. Then it's okay then we must open up our hearts to the Lord and ask Him to even grant us the grace to help us to live generously.
You know, we have been blessed to be a blessing. But so often, we just simply talk ourselves out of it. So I want to introduce to you a 21-day challenge, and I'm going to take it. Um, if we have your email, tomorrow or Tuesday, you're going to get an email, and it'll say something like, either accept this email or reject it. And you will not be followed. Nothing will happen. This is between you and the Lord. You decide. I mean, if you opt into this, you'll receive emails with some scripture that will encourage you to read, and then some prompts. Some things that it will encourage you to do that slowly over time, maybe it begins to change our perspective. That over time, we learn to become more generous and we learn to take the initiative ourselves to live more generous lives. And so for 21 days, it's the challenge is to live more generously. Some of the ones will be easy to do. Some of them may demand a little bit more. But we just want you to know you decide if you want to do this and it will be left between you and the Lord. Um, but I want you to know, I want to lead the way. I want to do this. I want to be challenged to live a more generous life, to be known as someone that gives their life away, that has been blessed, that then wants to be a blessing. Because who better? Who better than those that know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for your word. And we ask that by your spirit, you would, you would work. That you would bring joy and sacrificial generosity into our hearts. That we would learn, we would be equipped and we would realize we have everything that we need to live generous lives. And in those moments where we begin to talk ourselves out of it, that you would give us the grace we need in that moment to put those good intentions into actions. But Father, we don't want to do this so that we're noticed. We don't want to do it expecting just to be blessed. Father, we want to do this to create more thanksgiving and more worship of you. That we have received the greatest gift the world has ever seen. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us to live that out. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we ask these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.